Have we settled on Terraria? I think I've been calling it Terraria for most of my adult life. I mean, it's definitely Terraria, unless you're some sort of Philistine. <laughs> Funny story, though. I actually just learned how to spell Terraria the other day. <laughs> Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Josh Kalecki. And today, we're talking about Terraria. Developed by ReLogic, the game was initially released for Microsoft Windows on May 16th, way back in 2011, but has since been released for other consoles, handhelds, and mobile platforms. Now I gotta give a shout out to this game too, because it was developed with Microsoft XNA. Which I am the eternal fanboy for. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Microsoft XNA developer Josh Galecki signs on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've been playing this game on and off for years, and uh, during the time of social distancing, when ways to chill out with friends are at a premium, it seemed like a good opportunity for us to pick this back up and have a good time hanging out in a procedurally generated, pixelated world, and, uh, you know, doing a little mining and crafting along the way. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, So a couple of episodes ago, when we were playing through Noida, I made the comment that that game reminded me a lot of Terraria, and Brian looks at me and says, we should play that too. It's a great game. (laughs) It's been several years since I think either of us had played it, Uh, so we came back and I guess we wanted to see if the comparison rang true or not. Yeah, that's right. I totally forgot about that, and uh, wow, I I do see the comparisons there, like the... uh, the physics and you know the fluid dynamics that happen in Terraria do seem to be like a primitive front runner to the like fully simulated pixel aspects of Noida and it's very interesting to see how these threads sort of change and evolve over time in, in these indie games like this i think for me the comparison was kind of you know it's a 2d mouse shooter kind of along the lines of sold that if you will but also the way that the different biomes and terrain intersected with each other like you'd have oh here's the mushroom forest zone oh here's the um the underground temple over here i I felt like there are some similarities between the two just in the way that the environments were laid out next to each other that's right the the ant farm view of the world as i uh, put it in our (laughs) our um, discord channel and uh, that, that is something that's interesting that uh, sort of runs throughout these games. And Terraria, I think, is definitely the most popular Ant Farm View game that I can think of. It's had a few imitators of its own, like uh, Starbound uh, mm-hmm. comes to mind. But this game has just unprecedented developer support that spanned almost a decade. The most recent uh, update for the game, Journey's End, came out just this year on May 16th of 2020. Mm-hmm. exactly nine years after the game's first release crazy to think about it working on the same game for 10 years i know and uh speaking of the folks working on that game we should give them a quick introduction before we uh delve into the the discussion but uh terraria was developed by relogic as we mentioned starting in about 2011 on xna uh, the main core team of that was composed of andrew spinks the programmer uh, finn bryce uh, who did graphic design, and Jeremy Garrett. The music was composed by Scott Lloyd Shelley, and uh, this team has apparently just been together chugging away at this game for the better part of a decade. And, you know, kudos to them. They've developed a hell of a fan base, and uh, despite 
uh, I'm sure a lot of ups and downs. This game has really grown quite the community around it. I think one of the things that that 10 years of development has afforded them is kind of a little room to breathe. When I first heard about this game back in its early days, I felt like it was very much kind of like a Minecraft clone. Um, Like they kind of went and took a lot of the same vocabulary from the introduction to Minecraft. Like, okay, here's a tree. You got to mine these down. Then you can make your you can make your pickaxe, uh, and then you can get good ores and actually start really mining your way around. Um, just the kind of way you navigated the initial world, uh, it, but it really branched out into its own. Um, and having that ten years of development time let them go in a lot of different areas. Totally. Yeah, you uh, you hit the nail on the head when you said that when you first saw it, you thought it was basically a 2D Minecraft. And I think that's really what everyone thought when they first saw it. And to be fair, when it first came out, it was little more than that. Uh, it was still more than that, but it was a lot less more than that than it is now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's been, a, a, I guess, sort of a trope to dismiss this game as 2D Minecraft basically since it first came out. But I think as you mentioned, the room to breathe between this and a 2D Minecraft clone is just so large at this point that they're basically, the comparison to me is not even worth it anymore, you know? Uh, The games have both evolved away and towards each other in different ways over the years. The interesting thing to me is the way that Minecraft has evolved towards Terraria, um, more Hmm. so than the way that Terraria has evolved away from Minecraft. Like how so? I think Minecraft, uh, specifically when they put in um, the the end, not the Nether, but the end, where you eventually face off against the Elder, the Ender Dragon, I think it is, uh, as a specific boss battle in that game. That is, to me, like a clear reaction to the fact that Terraria is getting all this buzz for its dozens of boss fights and um, emphasis on combat. Uh, not only that, but I think the spells in this game were sort of a divergent. Um, evolution between the two games terraria Mm -hmm. i don't believe launched with a magic system at least in the form that it has now and i feel like minecraft created i'd have to look at like when each of these things entered the two of the games but they both now have magic and neither of them launched with that so convergent evolution definitely happened somewhere along the lines there Now, I think uh, one of the interesting ways these games are kind of different at a fundamental level is that small little adjective everyone threw in front of it. Oh, it's a 2D Minecraft clone. But then you take a look at what that means and what that implies, and you can kind of see where these games were set out on separate um, separate kind of branches of development just from the very get-go. Um, with a 2D world versus a 3D world, like um, the 2D world, you are going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot more verticality to it because otherwise you're just going left and right. There's a lot of uh, a very rich platformer heritage in 2D video games, uh, whereas with 3D games, uh, Minecraft I feel was more about exploration than Terraria ever was. Yeah, that's right. The the 2D tile-based graphical style of Terraria that's sort of reminiscent of SNES graphics is um, not only uh, 
much different and much more reminiscent of those, you know, retro platformers, but also the aesthetic is way more tongue-in-cheek than Minecraft. If you think about Minecraft, they don't, to my memory, do a ton of external references, mm-hmm. but Terraria is full of them. Yeah, a lot of pop culture references. Pop culture and video game, retro video game references. There's references mm-hmm. to Pokemon, there's references to Portal, there's all kinds of references in uh, Terraria. And I feel like it, it has a lot more fun with the culture that it's embedded in than, than Minecraft ever did. I think Terraria definitely doesn't take itself very seriously. Um, and as long as we're comparing this to Minecraft, because why not? Um, just look at, take a look at the background music that plays when you play Minecraft. It's kind of, it's an ambient sort of thing. It's, uh, I don't know if I'd call it like classical music, but just uh, very ambient. Um, it's not necessarily very melody driven uh, compared to Terraria, which I feel the, me- the music is very melody driven. Yeah, it is. The The music in Terraria is, is interesting in that it's sort of, um, you know, it's it's sort of silly and it's very synth synth and melody driven, right? It's got a, a lot of, um, it, it's it's playful, right? Whereas mm-hmm. Minecraft playful, is more, yeah. it's more somber. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that mood permeates both of those experiences. Minecraft, by definition, you know, since we're continuing this uh, this line of, of comparison <laughs> uh, needlessly, because as we already said, there's these games are not worth comparing, but we're going to do it anyway, because hell, oh, this is a podcast. I think it's worth comparing. <laughs> All right, well, Seeing I'm going to keep... Went. I'm going to keep going then, because I got another point. That somber <laughs> attitude um, goes to the, the fact that Minecraft is very much a solo experience unless you're playing multiplayer right it is an experience in single player Mm. about solitude right you're Mm -hmm. alone in a world you're surviving um terraria is not about survival you don't have a hunger meter and the first thing that happens is an npc shows up to tell you what to do Uh, it's a game about building a community which is kind of uh inspiring and interesting and i think that's you know if you're not playing multiplayer on minecraft it's a very solitary and sort of lonely experience you know Mm mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. Exploring different mountain ranges, uh, just seeing what's there. Um, in Minecraft had a fantastic terrain generation algorithm with it, um, and it was worthwhile just striking off in a direction and seeing what you could find. Yeah, and to that end, uh, that's one thing that this game also has, is it has a huge exploration element. I think that's one of the three core pillars of this game, to my mind. Uh, exploration combat and loot i would say are the three <laughs> the three pillars and maybe mm-hmm. building if you want to add like a fourth pillar although that's kind of tied to loot but mm-hmm. let's talk about exploration um so you're spawned into a world with one npc who's sort of your like guide dude i don't remember his name offhand i think his name is guide <laughs> good good name bud um <laughs> but yeah so you, you know it's a procedurally generated world you have nothing but a copper sword uh soon enough you're able to cut down a tree and uh, maybe build a pickaxe so you can start to you know look around the surface uh delve into a mountainside and maybe find a little cave with some loot in it right mm-hmm. uh, it sounds a lot like minecraft at this point but um that community soon starts to grow as soon as you realize that when you build your first settlement someone moves into it yeah there's a lot of npcs that can join your uh, blossoming town and each NPC that joins offers new benefits, maybe a new shopkeeper to sell different types of loot, uh, maybe someone to heal you up or allow you to go through terrain that was previously inaccessible. Um, and 
I think this game had the NPCs fairly early on. I know Minecraft has it these days, but I think that you're right that that's one thing they took from Terraria. Totally. Um, and an interesting thing about this game is there's sort of specifically hostile terrains. Um, you know, uh, this is another thing that Minecraft would later add in the form of the nether. And I swear to God, we're going to get off this Minecraft thing at some point. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, the the crimson and the corruption, originally just the corruption, are a spe- is a specifically hostile area that the player, you know, will encounter high-level enemies in. It's just sort of, you know, a few hundred yards away from where they initially spawn Mm -hmm. and that's where you know you start to realize that this game is a lot more specific about its progression uh, than uh, most sandbox games right it's about um, getting additional equipment so you can improve your combat abilities to take on bosses and rinse and repeat basically with that uh, specific uh, progression there now, I think that cor- the corruption is an interesting thing to look at. You called it a hostile terrain type. And I think one of the important things to note here is that uh, this biome, this terrain will expand and start taking over other areas around it. And the first time I noticed that as a player, it felt a lot more hostile. It's not that this is an area where there's high-level monsters in dangerous territory. It's when you realize you're like, oh wait a second! I thought this, I thought this, uh, I thought this hostile place is trying to kill this me. This tree was normal before. <laughs> this tree was normal before. What's going on? Yeah, and you feel like, oh, you know, this is encroaching on me now. I, I don't know how fast it's spreading or what's going on, but this is not good. Yeah, I need to find out what's going on here fast, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that that makes you it gives you an impetus to explore that area, right? And, uh, you know, if you've been through a few worlds, you understand what you need to do to, you know, conquer that and, you know, progress. But if you don't, it's kind of mysterious, right? Like, this is a game that leads to lots of interesting emergent stories. Like, oh, shit, I found the corruption and it's spreading. What do I do now? Um, In that same vein, this game has a bunch of random events that occur, like blood moons that send goblin hordes to your base's door or uh, pirate armies invading your your continent <laughs> or slime balls raining down from the sky right it's just th- there's a lot of really interesting stuff and like this game's procedurally generated world and events really give you a great tapestry to like have your character's story play out in in real time I agree that, you know, the events added some fun and interesting times to the game. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that there's a character story to it. Um, there's not really any real dialogue or plot to the game as far as I know, besides there's this corruption that's taking over uh, the world. Well, Josh, and, that's just a lack of imagination on your part, man. <laughs> <laughs> Is it all environmental storytelling? 
<laughs> no, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know about you, but I tend to try and like, I don't know. I, maybe I have an overactive imagination. But you know, if I'm playing a game like this alone, like you know, when I'm playing it with you, the story is between like what you and I are doing and uh, who's uh, stole the better loot from the other person, and there's sort of a. <laughs> you know, a vaguely antagonistic and cooperative story going on there. But if I'm playing a game like this alone, like I'm definitely trying to like build the story of, you know, Sushman the the Swift or whatever the fuck my character's name is that time around. Just uh, <laughs> how he's sort of conquering this unknown continent, uh, okay. building a little base of, of colonists, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the game sort of sets you up for that, right? I mean, it's that's what it's built for. I guess... I felt like the NPCs and the townsfolk had more pop culture references than they did any world building. Sure. I'm not and, saying that this is a completely fleshed out world a la like the Elder Scrolls or anything like that, but it gives you enough tools to say like this time around when I started a new character in a new world, I had a unique experience compared to last time. I can see how you can fill in the blanks between what they're giving you and construct a story out of it. Um, But I feel like building a story was not what the developers were aiming for. Or um, I feel like it was not what they were looking to accomplish with the game. Um, The events that happened were all about like the mechanical things you could do, the enemy swarms running down towards your town. Uh, It wasn't about like, oh, we're going to give you a warning about this thing happening, and you see the the events unfolding. It just happens to you. Um, and you can create the story, but the game doesn't give you the same tools that other games might to fill in those blanks. No, no that's fair. I, I, I don't think I would say that it ever gave you any of those things. I'm, that's, just, that's, my, that's what I'm bringing to the game. I gotcha. I think what we can both agree that the game is is driving you towards is progression. Mm-hmm. And that progression is directly tied to your ability to defeat uh, a variety of bosses in combat. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the combat and let's talk a little bit about those bosses because that to me is the biggest thing separating this from a lot of other uh, these type of sandbox games, whether it be 3D or 2D. Oh, for sure. So there's a bunch of bosses in this game they vary in the style that you have to fight them in but uh you know the first one you just sort of stumble upon having seen this message appear at the bottom of your screen an evil presence is watching you and then come the nighttime a gigantic floating eyeball monster will come by and try to destroy you and i think that's it works very well because this is the first time that you're aware of that there are bosses in this game yep it's a it's a really cool system like you you do need to instigate it right you can summon this boss uh by by using certain items it will also come if you've reached a certain amount of progression yourself oh i didn't realize that it could also just randomly happen that would be incredibly freaky (laughs) i think if you have a certain amount of health like this game kind of has like the uh the zelda heart health bars you have 12 hearts now so now the boss can come and randomly spawn during the night time Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even realize that. I guess I, I've been uh, I've been old hat at this game for too long. I always instigate it. <laughs> um, but that's that's cool. Um, 
the boss encounters and the fact that you're encountering them and defeating them is what drives the game's progression forward to me is what makes this game I guess more of a structured experience than than most sandbox games right like you're clearly climbing a ladder here in terms mm -hmm. of your combat prowess you use that to defeat a boss you get more combat prowess as a result and you defeat the next higher level boss mm -hmm. um, that is addicting right that's a good loop um, this I think it's core of this game's loot right explore uh, loot kill a boss yeah for sure um towards the beginning of the game or towards the mid game i guess that's i think where me and brian can generally be said to get to is the mid game when you get into hard mode um there's also an interesting dynamic with progression where the lower down you go the better the ore is and the tougher the enemies are and eventually you reach the underworld um at the very bottom of the map and from there you can fight the i think the third boss in the kind of like standard progression of bosses third or fourth boss um but you're being driven downwards because you're like oh you know i i had this i had this uh shitty copper axe and now i have a great iron axe or no, oh now it's made of platinum um i gotta go down deeper and see what kind of new ores are available and just that that drive for the latest and greatest loot will kind of take you naturally along the um, the game's boss progression. Right. Explore, loot, fight, repeat. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at, at some point, as you said, you, you defeat the, the boss, the wall of flesh in the underworld, and you get into hard mode, quote-unquote. And at this point, the game basically recontextualizes most of the map and uh, cross off your bingo card for recontextualize uh, for Brian's <laughs> buzzwords of, of the podcast. And um, it sort of rewrites what the map looks like, right? It changes the ore types available. It changes the type of loot available to you. And it changes, most importantly, the enemies that are coming at you. Mm -hmm. So you're being driven ever forward to uh, explore, loot, fight, repeat once again. It's a great time to do it too, because about that time in the game, that's when you are. That's when the enemies that are in those higher levels are kind of routine, easy for you to beat. Uh, but after you beat this boss and you get into hard mode, um, they throw thing, they uh, mix things up, and you have to relearn. You, um, it keeps the game interesting at that point, or at least at those different uh, different mining levels, different depths. Totally. Totally. And I think an interesting aspect of that loot that becomes available that we haven't mentioned yet is its effect on your traversal. So let's talk a little bit about the types of things you can get that'll help propel you around this 2D world. Uh, oh, the, there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, the favorite and most obvious of which to me is the grappling hook, which any game that includes a grappling hook. Yeah, <laughs> great. Perfect. Let's Not a real game if you game. don't have a grappling <laughs> hook. You heard it here first. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, grappling hooks own in this game. There's uh, particularly a really cool grappling hook that allows you to shoot out three and sort of sp spider yourself into various locations uh, hmm. using three different hooks, which is fun. Kind of like Spider-Man in your ways around. I got gotcha. you. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, there's uh, all kinds of different um, movement upgrades you get. You know, you have your classic double jump, your wall slide and wall jump. Um, I think... You, later on, you can get rocket boots or wings that allow you to fly around to defy gravity completely. Uh, things that allow you to run along the ground faster. 
there's mounts as well, mounts that'll let you fly, mounts that'll let you swim faster, and just simple mounts that'll move you along the ground at a great speed as well. Oh, no kidding. I don't think I've ever had a mount before. Oh yeah, there's mounts. <laughs> <laughs> take a book right, or take a page right out of the World of Warcraft playbook right there. Mm-hmm. No, oh, not a bad page to take. Yeah, but on top of uh, those types of traversal items, there's also items like teleportation items that'll warp you back to base or ropes that'll allow you to climb up and down large shafts, although that's probably an earlier uh, thing. And uh, yes, large shafts, I know, phrasing. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but then there's even things like wiring, uh, which is, you know, to me, I'm not sure which evolved first, but um, sounds a lot like the redstone uh breakthrough in minecraft i feel like the redstone was first at least i heard about that first yeah Um, you're probably right but yeah you can wire different things up in this game as well uh i also like the different summoning items you had this game was very generous in a way very playful if you will and that it didn't ask you to commit yourself to one play style or another you're placed you know your bonuses the your best style of combat was what you were wearing at the time, the loot that you had with you. And if you switched out a set of armor or you switched to a different weapon, you were just as effective as if you had been doing that from the beginning. I think that worked very well in this game. You're right. Specialization in video games is kind of overrated in that regard, right? Like, I I think Diablo 3 is a marked improvement over Diablo 2 for allowing you to respec at will based on the equipment that you require. I'll agree with you about that part of Diablo 3. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of other things that aren't, but um, yeah, let, uh, we'll save that conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally agree that like your ability to sort of pick up a new weapon and immediately find it to be incredibly useful for your progression is super awesome like there's Mm -hmm. nothing worse than finding the best possible item for a build that you don't have (laughs) and you gotta hope that at least you have like a multiplayer friend who can use that item otherwise it's just cash money let's get on that uh let's get on that battle.net and trade (laughs) i guess all of this is to say Uh, Not only is finding things important in this game, but uh, cultivating a base, trading, buying, and, you know, making your NPCs happy in this game, or at least attracting new NPCs, that's another very important part of progression that Mm -hmm. I think uh, is not to be underrated for making this game unique. Um, You know, building a base that actually houses people, I think, is what separates this in another way from other sandbox games such as minecraft right you can build the biggest house in the world in minecraft but no one else is going to come live with you in it unless you're playing multiplayer Mm -hmm. in this game you can build a a thriving town all on your own and then um you know when people come to see where your um painter is set up and he's got a cool studio uh they know that he's uh living pretty high on the hog thanks to your (laughs) largesse and i think the interesting thing is I think the only effect that NPC happiness has is the prices that they sell and buy things from you. You could be a slumlord and just put everybody in closets, uh, you know, the minimum (laughs) uh, possible things. But the game gives you all these different tile sets, all these different uh, wall and furniture types that you feel like, oh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to build something cool over here. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really fun, and it especially uh, is effective in allowing you to tailor the living space of the NPC that you're uh, trying to attract or maintain uh, to their personality or class type or what have you. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very interesting. It's very person. It's able to be customized and personalized based on what you're trying to, you know, cultivate in your little settlement. And it's really fun. It's it's nice to always have someone new popping in to help you with the goal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not even to help you with the goal, just to be something new. Not just uh, be a new face, a new person to talk to, but like, oh, one someone new shows up. I wonder what kind of stuff they will sell me that's right and there's always there's always something even down to uh <laughs> even down to a golfer moving in and allowing you to <laughs> play a, a nice round of 2d golf which shit man uh it's not quite as good as mario golf on the game boy but it's pretty fun uh josh and i played a quick three hole round of golf that he designed and and we both played through today and <laughs> while while i can say i've played better courses i still had a pretty darn good time <laughs> yeah the um the whole golf mini game was introduced with the last update and I think it's kind of a mini stroke of genius to do that. I mean, this game is already about building your town, uh, placing tiles as you want to, um, and the ability to add some basic, you know, bouncing ball physics in there and create a golf course out of it is pretty fantastic. Yeah, I mean, this is clearly like a reaction to iOS games like Desert Golf. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Desert Golf made a big splash on the indie iOS scene by being sort of an endless 2D golfing game. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it owned. Like, it was really fun. It was an easy way to, like, pass some time if you're on the bus or the DMV or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, it felt a lot like that, playing this uh, Terraria version of 2D golf. And to that end, like another thing that we should just quickly mention that neither of us, to my knowledge, have dipped our feet into is this game has a thriving mod scene. This could easily be your forever game if you just want to try out new mods and, um, you know, continually explore what the greatest and most creative members of the Terraria Steam community have in store for you. Mm-hmm. I haven't looked into the mod scene at all, um, uh, but I'm, I'm imagining they change some of the bosses, you know, you can start in new worlds, you can play golf in a custom-designed course. Uh, yeah, I know there's plenty of, of mods out there for this game, and while we haven't really dipped our toes into them too much, uh, it's safe to say that you can enhance your game in a variety of different ways by downloading and giving them a go. With that, why don't we go into some three-word reviews? So my three-word review for this game is gimmicks and gizmos. Now normally I use the word gimmick in a somewhat pejorative sense, but not for this game. The developers added a whole lot to this game, from a grappling hook that's made of a squirrel that you can swing around trees in, uh, to a harpoon gun that is very useless in combat if you're trying to do anything real against any bosses, but... You know, it's a fun little mechanic that just exists for this one weapon that you might or might not find. Um, to things like the golf, you know, the new golf minigame that was added with this latest update. 
Uh, this game has a lot of these little things that the sum total of them makes for a very compelling experience. And to me, that's the Terraria experience. It's the thousand different things that are kind of unexpected in what they do sometimes, but make the game worth playing and worth coming back to. My three-word review is not 2D Minecraft. For those that are familiar with this game, this may seem like a no-brainer, but there is a completely different design and progression style going into Terraria than what went into Minecraft, and it shows. As someone who picked up Terraria early, it's heartening to see what this game has evolved into, and inspiring how generous these developers have been with their community. While it may have initially been inspired by Minecraft, I feel like the two are so distinct that these days this comparison is worth mentioning only for historical purposes. Terraria has always been a fun game for me to pick up, and the latest patch was no different. I wouldn't be surprised to be picking it up again in another five years, not to see what's changed, but to rediscover what made it special. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. Take care, and keep on digging. This is a game where if you played this game for one minute and 30 seconds and you played Minecraft for one minute and 30 seconds, you would say, oh yes, I see the 2D clone thing, but exactly from there, that's where it diverges. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I really, the more I thought about it, the more I think it is the change in perspective that really mandates what each of them must have evolved into. Hmm. Uh, tell me more. That's interesting, but I see. I think I know what you're going for, but why do you feel that way? Uh, so take a look back in history at 2D versus 3D games. 2, 2D games on the NES and SNES, they're all about, um, well, not all about, but uh, for a broad swath about it, there's like pattern memorization going through the, these different areas, and 3D video games introduce a sense of exploration that... You know, some 2D games tried to achieve it, but they were not able to because, you know, they didn't have all the dimensions they needed for that, as opposed to, you know, Mario 64, which I consider the first real 3D game. No, I think I think that's a good call out, although I'm going to flip it on you and say, what about, uh, you know, let's say the explorative 2D game, like the original Legend of Zelda and the linear 3D game like... Um, uh, like your Crash Bandicoot, say. Well, there's a reason why I called Mario 64 the first true 3D game, uh, which it's a fair point. There's like 3D from terms of graphical perspective, but I feel, I do feel like the exploration aspect of video games was very much enhanced with the addition of that 3D element. Well, certainly the sense of immersive exploration was... Going back to your not 2T Minecraft, I think this game was planned to be multiplayer from the start. I can kind of see that in the outlines of the design, and I think that's a big difference between this and Minecraft. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I like the fact that you can like take, I like the fact that your character and your worlds are not connected in terms of uh, where you take them and what you do with them, right? Like I can take my buff ass character and bring it into your newbie world and say, help you out with a really hard boss or something. Or likewise, uh, I could take my veteran character and bring it into a world that didn't have the loot that I wanted so that I could find something, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm, I'm looking for. Yeah, it, it works very well. Um, it is a good stroke of design that they did that. You didn't have to be stuck in a single world. Uh, you could go join your friend's world with your main character instead of having to start a new one. Yeah, and the fact that all those characters and worlds are uploaded onto Steam Cloud basically means, like, you can have any world and any character anywhere at any time, which is awesome. You know, it's fun. Like, that's the future of gaming, right? I should be able to take my stuff wherever I want it to be at any time. (laughs) ¶¶